0: the Lord, everyone. Somebody say, I was glad when they said unto me. If you feel that way, put your hands together, lift your voice, give God a shout of praise in this house. He is worthy of all the praise. He's done so much for me, I cannot tell it all. Praise God. Like what I feel in the house of the Lord. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for uh, taking a chance on us. We want you to feel right at home. Those of you joining us online, uh, thank you for your time. I want the word of the Lord to transcend the technology. Uh, between me and you, and I want the word of the Lord uh, to touch you and make you spiritually rich. That is what the word of God does for all of us. I love the word of God. I love to teach it, I love to preach it. Uh, One of the things that I I love so much about the word of God is it is given as a sign in my life that I do not have to see through faith. (laughs) I can hold it in my hand. Do you understand what I mean by that? Um, That's why we found ourselves upon the word of God. Um, If you come to a service and uh, the preaching itself uh, maybe pushes your button and you're in the right place, you know what I mean? You can just be blessed that way. Uh, If you are in the right place, they can sing your song. How many of you have ever been in church and they sing your song? (laughs) Yes, they sing your song, man. And then it's like someone flipped the switch on the chill bump machine and you're like, that's my song. That's my jam, as folks like to say. Uh, (laughs) You know exactly what I'm talking about. But let me remind you of this. When you hold the word of God in your hand, it doesn't matter if you're emotionally high or emotionally low. It's right there in your hand. You don't need everything to work out right for you to receive the Word of God. It's right in your hand. I love teaching the Word of the Lord. And this is, uh, this is the series that uh, was unplanned. It's pretty rare for me to do an unplanned series, but this one... Uh, One Sunday, I decided to preach on the goodness of God. And I I was like, well, what can I preach on? And then a moment later, I was like, well, (laughs) I can preach on anything. (laughs) It's the goodness of God from the beginning to the end. And can some church folks say amen? God has been so good to us. And I I thought, okay, well, what's probably the most well known passage of Scripture that we quote thinking of the goodness of God? And of course, I immediately went to the 23rd Psalm, which is the most famous passage. If you speak in terms not of one verse, but if you speak in terms of several verses, a passage, uh, Psalms 23 is the most famous passage in all the Word of the Lord. So I started preaching from there. And uh, here we are, I don't know, several weeks later, and this, it's a ser- I didn't intend to be a series, but it's your fault. I was innocent. I did not intend it, but you forced me to do it. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. Somebody say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even, even, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. I want to take those two images of the rod and the staff of the shepherd, and I want to apply them into our lives so we can see, uh, perhaps from this perspective, the goodness of God working on our behalf. So for a title, I went with this, cry a river, build a bridge. (laughs) Cry a river, build a bridge. Now, uh, I use the image of the bridge, and I'll perhaps get into this in just uh, a little bit more. Uh, but before I so I'll tell you what, before I do that, let me l- make you aware of something coming up next month. Um, my wife and I are going on our 25th anniversary uh, trip that uh, was supposed to happen four years ago. <laughs> Uh, Three years ago, I just, whatever she says, I agree with, just for the record. Three years ago, we were supposed to go on, and my grandmother passed, and we had to cancel, and then two years of COVID, and so finally, we're going on a cruise that was paid for three years ago, so... I'm excited to go. In fact, I'm not even here right now. I'm already gone. (laughs) uh, um, So uh, during those two Sundays, the 15th and the 22nd, uh, no no, she corrected me I was wrong i 'm preaching the ninth, but they but the, he knows I need help, so thank Don keeps me in line uh, the fifteenth and the twenty second so uh, Pastor John Moran will be preaching the fifteenth. Many of you guys know him uh, he's a, works close with our ministry team on marketing and promotion uh, and so it 's always great to have him come in and the twenty second my brother David Timothy Elms pastors in Fort Lauderdale is going to be here preaching the twenty second so that is a, a, that's going to be a great day. He's a much better preacher than, than me, um, but I'm a much better Christian than him. So <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. I'm not a better Christian than anybody, but I wanted to make you smile. So that is uh, next month. All right. The Lord is my shepherd. These two images of the rod and the staff bringing comfort to someone. Um, here, here is something all of us should be reminded of: that in our life, uh, there is there is plenty of struggle. Can I have an amen? Yeah. There's plenty of struggle. Um, there is even uh, more pain than we care to celebrate, <laughs> um, and this is part of the story. It's usually not particularly helpful for us to spend much time feeling sorry for ourselves. Usually, um, once you take the exit on the highway entitled self-pity, that leads to a circular drive that you go around for a while, and then you realize there's a turn off from self-pity. Can I have an amen from you folks who've lived a little while? And you turn off from self-pity and you get back on your journey uh, because um, <laughs> uh, self-pity is a loop and it's taking you nowhere. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, pain. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of setback. There's a lot of struggle. Um, but the goodness of God in our life is how he can stage a spiritual intervention How many of you have ever had a spiritual intervention in your life? If you haven't, I want it to start today. (laughs) I want to start today with a spiritual intervention where God breaks through into the distraction. He breaks through into the confusion, and he speaks to you, and he says, my child, I have a purpose for you. He says, my child, I have a work for you to do. I would like you to give me your gifts, and I would like to multiply. Multiply them to the thousands. I I would like you to give me your heart, and I will multiply it to uh, the hungry. It is no accident, my brother, my sister, uh, that God has chosen to call us sheep. It is no accident that this example of shepherd and sheep is continually repeated and presented in the, word, in the word of God. The behavior of sheep and the, ver- and the behavior of us humans is in many ways spiritually similar, enough so that repeatedly God uses sheep to teach us the nature of ourselves and the shepherd to teach us the nature and the heart of God. Give me a a moment here to kind of lay a foundation and uh, try to bring this home to you. Um, one of the things that are very very much notable among sheep is um, how they run together, and they herd together, and they cue off of each other. The sheep do not have good eyesight, and so they cue off of the sheep near them, which is to say, if you put a sheep... In a flock of sheep that is frightened that sheep will not know why it should be frightened it'll just be frightened on principle yeah. now this is an important understanding if you put the sheep with sheep that are calm that sheep will calm down do you see they don't see very well and not only that they are terrible judges of danger the reason why sheep need a shepherd is because they are terrible judges of danger. They have, like us, uh, no teeth of which to be proud and threaten an enemy. They, like us, have no claws with which to be proud. However good your teeth or your claws are or your fake nails are, I would encourage you to go to the zoo where you could be impressed by real teeth and real nails. Can I have a witness? We, like sheep, uh, aren't very impressive in ourselves and we need help to discern risks along the way. Sheep don't understand the risk of falling, and sheep will graze right on the edge of a cliff. And if there's not a shepherd that says, no, uh, uses the nook of their staff to pull them back, a sheep will graze right beside a place of death, a place of risk. Further, uh, sheep have no concept of how a predator would hunt them. And so they will wander off into a dangerous place where an ambush predator can wait in ambush. They have no sense that that is a perfect spot for a mountain lion to hide. They have no sense that that is a perfect ambush point from which a wolf could spring. They have no sense of just judgment. They have no ability to fight. And they only cue off of the others around them on their fear. So, this is what I know about me as a result. I have to be careful, the people I do life with, because I will pick up their spirit. I don't mean that I'm not supposed to have people who are weaker than me as friends and as ministry uh, in my life. I am. But I have to be honest about when I'm strong and when I am weak. And when they are changing me more than I'm changing them, I am deceiving myself. And so I, like a sheep, am very much at risk of not judge, judging danger. I will do things. I don't realize the danger that is there. Uh, I and you, we all of us like sheep have gone astray. We'll get distracted by this. We'll get involved in that situation. And just as sheep, we will be blind to the risk. <laughs> We heard, we have mob instincts, and uh, we are uh, very fearful and timid, and yet in spite of that fearfulness and timidity, we are also quite stubborn and ignorant, and that stubbornness, spiritual stubbornness and spiritual ignorance is a direct consequence of vanity that works in us that makes us think we're stronger than we are. And we know more than we know. And we can withstand more than we can uh, withstand. And the result of this is our fear, our timidity, our stubbornness, our ignorance. We don't know what actually will make us happy. And so, like sheep, we think there's good to forage down that canyon. And there's nothing down that canyon but death and risk. But we think it'll make us happy. <laughs> We develop weird interests and strange hobbies, thinking they will make us happy. And worse, we develop self-harming habits and spiritual wandering. And yet, in spite of this, Christ loves us, and Christ chooses us, and Christ seeks us, and Christ calls to us. He is the good shepherd. It's important for us to understand that this image of the shepherd and the sheep will be repeated over and over in the Bible all the way as late in the New Testament as uh, the book of Hebrews and um, very much all through uh, the Old Testament. And the author of Psalms 23, King David, he, he himself grew up taking care of sheep. So the example, the teaching insight of it was so profound to him that he put it in the beautiful language of spiritual poetry and song to show us how a shepherd would care for his sheep, and then pointed to God and said, this is what the heart of God is like. Sheep are totally dependent upon the shepherd for food, for water, for leadership, and for guidance we need protection from a wide range of dangers and yes predators and Jesus, not to be confused on the subject, makes it very plain where he says directly, intentionally, John chapter number 10, I am the good shepherd. He is referencing an Old Testament prophecy written by the prophet Ezekiel in chapter number 34, uh, verses you can read in the uh, verses 7 through 16, where the Lord is said... That the Messiah will be a shepherd to his people. Jesus stands before the people and says, I am the good shepherd. I have come to be what you need because you cannot rescue yourself. You cannot save yourself. You cannot fix yourself. Do you see? And so the reality of this is that there is a tremendous risk in every life decision and life choice that we make. We need spiritual guidance. And can some church folks say amen? amen. So Christ decides, seeing the reality of our heart and life, he decides that he would make a difference on our behalf. He looks down at the sorrowing, struggling, sinning humanity, and he is moved with compassion for them. And the gospel is this story at great personal cost. Jesus chose to deliver us from our dilemma of sin. He chose intentionally to descend and to live among us. He chose intentionally that he would suffer the privation, the ridicule, the false accusation, the rumor, the gossip, the malicious charge. They would call him a glutton. They would call him a drunkard. They would call him a sinner and a friend to sinners. They would even call him an imposter. And he knew he would endure it all, the one of whom... It could accurately be said, none of these things are true. He would endure it all because that is how much uh, he loved us. That is how much he cared for us. He would give up his reputation for you. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It would involve physical suffering. It would involve mental anguish. It would involve spiritual agony, and he would say it was worth it because he loved you. Uh, Let me real quick try to take you into uh, the images shown here. Um, When I, I use the, as a title, I use cry a river, build a bridge because... When you think about, we think of bridges in terms of infrastructure. What do we mean by that phrase, infrastructure? We're a society. Um, it's as though we build a tool that it's not a hand tool, <laughs> it's not a personal tool. Uh, it's a tool for a whole city, uh, and we call that infrastructure. And so, what do we build? We build ports. Uh, We build uh, highway systems. We build uh, bridges. (laughs) We build uh, railroads. All of these are tools for a society. And so it is that when the Lord gives you the image of a shepherd, uh, he gives you the image of the tools of a shepherd. So you're not just stuck in the reality that you're not a good judge of risk in your life. You have a good shepherd who wants to draw you back from the place of risk. He wants to use a staff. So let me talk about the rod and the staff. A rod is for guarding and protecting. A lot of people don't understand the significance of the rod and the staff in the story of Israel and more just in the story of empires and kings. I'll give you an example. If you Google some of the images of Pharaoh, you will find images of Pharaoh, and he will have in his hand a rod and a staff. And there will be a a, a crooked uh, staff, which is to pull an animal to safety. Uh, It has to be like a sheep-sized animal because I don't know if you've ever tried to pull a bullock to safety, but good luck with that. I hope you've been doing your workouts. Um, but with a lamb or a sheep, you could use that. So you'll see an image of kings, and they will have um, a a shepherd's staff, and they will also have what is often referred to as a flail. And what that is, is it is a a rod. Uh, That is just another terminology that it developed, not just a rod, but it developed into a flail. Same idea. These are the tools of a shepherd. And if you look biblically, what you learn is a... A rod is for guarding, and a staff is for guiding. I want you all to get this in your spirit right now. God God wants to guard you. Somebody say, Guard me. And God wants to guide me. God wants to guard you, and God wants to guide you. It's not enough for you to be guarded. You're going to go astray if you're not, uh, if you're not connected to God. It's not enough for God to show up and try to fix your problems. You'll just create more. Yeah. I am like a sheep and I, I, I'm, I'm queuing off people around me and I'm, I have this influence of the things in my life and if I'm around people of fear, then I buy into the delusion of fear and I have to choose faith over fear. Can I have an amen? If I'm around people, it's in their nature to criticize as a way of helping them cope. That's what most critics are doing. They're, they're coping by criticizing. It's a terrible way to cope cope with the troubles in your life because the people you're criticizing are hurting too. (laughs) And they're they're trying to figure it out too. You're not the only one trying to figure it out. The very person you think is doing it wrong... Let me talk about generations here for a little while. It's easy for those of us in our 50s to look at people in our 20s, in their 20s, and see what they're doing wrong, because we're looking back on our 20s. But let me remind all you kind, sweet, compassionate people, they're not looking back on their 20s. It's slapping them in the face. And you have all of this imagined wisdom because you know what you would have done, but that's not the same thing as knowing what you would do, because the trials you faced are not necessarily the trials they faced. And so there's this temptation where we see someone in a different position and we think we can up our relative value by showing we would not be subject to the trial therein. I had an elder uh, in the church one time, Uh, Who she was a a sweet person, but she got in the habit of really coming down hard on some of the young uh, young mothers in the church, and I mean she would straighten them out. And uh, the the I think it was the third time I uh, saw um, a young mother leaving the church in tears, and I. I, I uh, called that week and, and she wouldn't tell me why and I said, now look it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to insist, I need to know what happened, something happened, oh it's not, come to find out, this dear beloved uh, godly sister in the church had felt it was part of her spiritual matronly duty to come down hard on these young mothers and um, I had already put it off a couple times so I, call, I, I called this dear mother in the church up and I said, you know, I, 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 no, I've noticed that you you are really correcting some of our young mothers in a very vigorous manner, and she said yes. She said yes. The, the Bible tells us, you older ones, you should reprove and correct. I'm like yes, but that's not all it says. <laughs> you can't pick one scripture and say that's my scripture. Bless God, <laughs> that's it. That's my scripture. <laughs> in that case, I'm picking Marriage Supper of the Lamb. That's my scripture, y'all. <laughs> and I said, let me ask you something. Um, now, all the three, the three, these three mothers that you have hit, they're all. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, they're all in their early, early 20s. And she said, yes. She said, there, you know, and I said, okay, um, um, uh, tell me about you serving God in your early 20s. Break it on down, break it down. Break it on down. And she said, uh, well, I, I, you know, I was backslidden during that time. I wasn't serving the Lord. And I said, my sister, please receive this with a kind heart. <laughs> You need to be nicer to these young mothers. You couldn't even serve God at that stage of your life. I got five of the sisters in the church saying, praise God, Everything they're like, preach my God, break it down, make it plain. You weren't even able to serve God. You were in the honky-tonk. Back then, it was a honky-tonk. And these poor darlings, their life isn't perfect, but at least they're not in the honky-tonk. So this is what I want you to do. When you feel the urge to correct, and you say something, and you catch yourself, make sure you don't stop on correction. I want you to bless them. I want you to tell them that you couldn't even serve God at that stage of your life. And you see how hard they're trying. And you see how hard they're serving. (laughs) I don't know how I got on that, but I know it was a blessing to six of our ladies over here. So, so blessing upon you guys. I love you too. So, a rod is for guarding and a staff is for guiding. I need both in my life. I'm going to get in trouble. I need God to guard me. I don't even know a lot of times where to start fighting and the spirit has to make intercession through me. Do I have some church folks say amen on that? I don't even know how to fight. I don't want to fight. I want to love people. That's what I feel most like God when I'm loving people. Some people feel most like God when they're correcting people, you do you, but um, I happen to be the pastor here, so you have to kind of acknowledge that. Um, I want to love and let rebuke come in time. I don't want to rebuke and let love come in time. Love is what the foundation is upon. Rebuke is the chastening of the Lord. All right, moving along. Uh, so anyway, uh, guarded and guided. And the rod literally is this short club. When David gives his testimony of killing the lion and the bear to King Saul, he says the verb he uses in those descriptions is I struck them. I struck them. It may, have been, uh, it may have been a um a sling that he used to strike them. I don't know. I, 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 that could be the But uh, if you read a shepherd's commentary on Psalms 23, uh, you'll find that usually the shepherd uses this short, weaponized club. In some some cases, it has a a sharpened stone uh, as a part of it. Some cases, it's just a, 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 a club. But that is what they would fight off any animal with. And the guidance of the Lord is that staff that can separate um, when sheep panic, they lose composure, and oftentimes when they mob together, um, it's the lamb that is damaged or even killed by the press of panicking sheep. And so the rod could separate and pull, and the rod could connect and pull to safety. Uh, that is the guidance of the Lord. I cannot tell you how many times God has got me out of dangerous situations, and I did not eat even perceive the danger all we like sheep have gone astray. Somebody say it with me. All we like sheep have gone astray. Oh God, I want to say thank you right now for every time you have rescued me from my own errors. I want to say thank you for every time I've been dumb about this and ignorant about that and it was the grace of God that enabled enabled me to make it through. I want to praise you today. Somebody help me praise him in this house right now. Oh, I want to praise you, O oh God, for your keeping power. <laughs> Sheep are notorious wanderers, and they have terrible sense of danger. And so uh, Philip Keller in his book, A Shepherd, looks at Psalms 23. He comments on the uniqueness of the shepherd's staff. In a sense, he says... The staff, more than any other personal item of a shepherd's equipment, identifies the shepherd as a shepherd. No one in any other profession carries a shepherd's staff. It is uniquely an instrument used for the care and management of sheep and only sheep. He goes on to say it will not work for cattle. It will not work for horses. It will not work for hogs. (laughs) It will only work with sheep. It is designed, it is shaped, and it is adapted to the needs of a sheep. Cattle will yank it out of your hand. Horses will kick you in the head, and a pig doesn't have a neck. Now, I thought that was funny. (laughs) It is unique to the sheep. And the Lord fulfills the prophet prophecy of Ezekiel when he stands before the people and he says this, John chapter number 10, verse number 10, I came so that my sheep will have life and everything they need. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. You see, uh, there is this image in uh, the Old Testament in the stories of the patriarch where um, the, the the young man who is running for his life uh, has been gifted a covenant with God, but in the meantime is living a life that is a shame to the covenant he has been given. This is not unique to him. All of us are capable of being uh, spiritually royal and carnally shameful. All of us are at risk of having anointing and living like a prodigal. And so here you have Jacob running for his life. I want you to see something today because I want to ask you to see this in your uh, personal walk with God and I want to ask you to be able to speak this to other people that you are a light of testimony to. God shows him the image of the ladder, this place, this, this stop on the road where Jacob lays his head on a stone and he sleeps and he has this dream of uh, heaven and a dream of earth. And connecting heaven and earth is a divine ladder which enables something. This ladder we call Jacob's Ladder, enables something spiritually. What does it enable? It enables transmission of the ministering spirits of the Lord from heaven to earth. So now, heaven makes a difference on earth. God does not show this to Jacob when he's coming back to God. God shows this to Jacob while he's running away. Now this is an important illustration. It's not when he is coming back that Jacob gets the image of a ladder connecting the kingdom of God and the kingdom of men. It's while he is running away. This is before he has grown spiritually. This is before he has made things right. This is before he's reaped his harvest of suffering. It's before he has learned how to tarry all night. This is Jacob on the run, not Jacob going home. I yeah. yeah. And on the run, God says, I need you to see something. You're not coming closer, Jacob. You're running away. But on your way out the door, I need you to see something. On your way to 14 years of trickery and con men-like behavior, on your way out, I need you to see something, my son. And that's what I need you. This is what I need you to see. There is a connection between heaven and earth. And this connection is going to enable the purposes of God to find manifestation here on the earth. So I want to speak to every one of you who feels like your life is far from where it needs to be. God would like you to see that he is not losing connection with you, even though you're losing connection with him. Let me say it this way. He is the good shepherd and you're not looking for him, but he's looking for you. You're not knocking on his door, but he's knocking on your door. He is the good shepherd. You can run, but you cannot hide. You can flee, but you cannot hide. God is looking for you. Oh, hallelujah, somebody. I am come so that my sheep will have life, Jesus says, and everything they need. Let me tell you what life is without the good shepherd. It's death. Our lives without God is death because sin separates us from God. And He has come that we might have life and that life more abundantly. And He says, I am the good shepherd. You can run, but the shepherd will put the ninety and nine safe and He will come looking for you. You see, the great error is to think that our connection to heaven starts when we're coming back. No, your connection to heaven starts before you even get out of your hometown. <sighs> Those of you who have unsaved loved ones, don't think God's not reaching for them, and don't think that the mercy of God is not finding a way to present again and again and again to goodness of God, because that goodness of God will lead them to repentance. Don't assume that because they're living crazy that God doesn't love them. (laughs) you aren't the only person who was lovable when you were living crazy. God can love other crazy people. It's not just you. The connection to the house of God is not on the way back. It's on the way out. Because you need to receive this as spiritual promise in your life. I can't go too far where God doesn't know where I'm at. <laughs> I can ascend to the heights, and God's going to be there. I can run to the far corners of the earth, and God's going to be there. I can descend to the depths of hell. God's going to be there. So I want to give you uh, some examples of how God connects you, how God connects you, how God connects you, Uh, how the good shepherd seeks for you, how the good shepherd guards you how the good shepherd guides you. And I want to first of all show you this. If I will make myself vulnerable vulnerable before God, if I will open my heart to God, he will meet me with compassion. He will meet me with compassion. Let me read Matthew 9 verse number 36 when Jesus saw the crowds. His heart was filled with compassion for them because they were hurting and didn't know where to get help. That sounds like your unsaved loved ones, right? That like, sounds like your coworkers. That sounds like your neighbors. They are hurting and they don't know where to get help. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, the difference in sympathy, empathy, and compassion. I, I want us all to, to understand this because uh, I think it's helpful. First of all, sympathy is when I'm sad you're hurting empathy is when I have a sense of your hurt and I hurt with you. I'm not just sad that you're hurting. Oh, that's terrible. You tend to do that with people with whom you don't have connection. But when you have connection with people, there's a difference at that point. And you know what you do? You now hurt with them. And you see them crying and you find yourself crying because you hurt with them. You rejoice with them that rejoice. You mourn with them that mourn. It's not sympathy, it is empathy. But there's something beyond empathy, and that is compassion. Compassion is when I have a passion to help you in your circumstance or your situation. I want to help. It's as though someone stands before you and says, Please tell me something I can do for you. I will. I will haul groceries. I will take care of your kids. I will. Let me tell you a, a personal story. When I came here to Charlotte, I had been diagnosed with cancer, and I was in chemo, and I was terribly sick, and um, it was just a terrible time. And this church, uh, my wife and I bought a house, and we needed a place to stay. Um, I was had stayed with my mom and dad for a while, but let me tell you the truth about me. I hate being sick, and I'm grumpy when I'm sick. <laughs> and so when I'm sick, I need my own space. Now, am I the only one, or is there anybody else who understands exactly what I'm talking about? Um, I don't need a bunch of people to come sit with me when I'm sick. I, I just don't. I mean, just just send me a text, tell me you love me, and you know we're good. Um, I needed my own space. We bought a house, but like all houses, it wasn't move-in. Not all, but most houses are not move-in ready. We didn't have any money. I I, I was so weak, I could hardly carry anything. And the uh, this church, uh, and I, I, we didn't ask. We didn't make an announcement. This church found out that we had bought that house, and some of the men and women of this church went over, and this is 20, how many years, 20 years ago? Uh, 22 years ago, and went over, and they cleaned the place top to bottom. Them. They cleaned up the beds. They mowed the lawn. They painted everything. They fixed the tile. They fixed the HVAC. I, so sick I could at the time barely walk, moved into a house that had been completely prepared by people who had compassion. Yeah, I've had some people been bad to me, but I've had some people been good to me too. So that's my word for all of you here today. Yeah, some people have treated you bad, but some people have treated you good too. What what have you been looking at? You don't see the world as it is. You see it as you are. So let's talk about the goodness of God. Let's talk about the blessings of God. Compassion is when I want to help you. Is there anything I can do? I don't just have sympathy. I don't just want to cry and leave. Is there anything I can do for you? It is the phrase I love in the Bible when repeatedly uh, uh, over, I think, almost 40 times in the Bible, we are told that God did something. uh, he, He saved us. Why? For his name's sake. In the 23rd Psalm itself, he leads me in right path for his name's sake. What are you saying? He is basically saying this. I want to save you because I've got a savior on the inside of me and I, it would just be so good if I could save you. God is knocking on the door of your heart. God is looking for you. You see, Uh, If you maybe grew up a certain way or you had a certain exposure, you have a real comfort with a hammer-wielding God, and you're really, really good at the fear of the Lord. In fact, it's possible you're so good at the fear of the Lord that you're missing the heart of the Lord. (laughs) Because he's not all justice, he's also mercy. He's not all judgment, he's also grace, do you see? And so if you can have your heart open to this reality, however much you want God to help you, there is a savior inside of it. He's looking to save. He's doing it for his name's sake. He wants to do it so bad, oh, hear me today. He wants to do it so bad that when he made his covenant with Abraham... They went through all of the ritual symbolic sacrifice of Old Testament covenant which involved a sacrifice and an animal is slain as part of that sacrifice and the animal is cut into two parts and each party passes between the two parts of the butchered animal and they say, and this is history, they say if I do not keep this covenant May God or, depending on their belief structure, the gods... Do to me, sunder, what we have done to this sacrifice. And they walk between the sacrifice-sundered animal, and they say, gripping at one another's hand or one another's forearm, they say, if I do not keep my word to you, may God do to me what we have done to this animal. But when you get to the covenant between God and Abraham, uh, you can read it in the book of Genesis. God passes between the separated sacrifice. And it comes time for Abraham to pass between the sacrifice. And it's as though the Lord says, if I don't keep this, there's no higher than in myself. So I swear by myself that if I don't keep this covenant, I will pay the price for it. And it comes time for Abraham to cross. And Abraham stands there and doesn't move. And you know what God does? God goes between the the sacrifice again. Once for himself and once for Abraham. Let me explain that to you in everyday language. I will die for you if I need to, God said. And it comes turn for Abraham to say, I'll die for you. And the Lord says, I'll die for both of us. Oh, I wish I could preach it like it's worthy. Calvary is God dying for both of us. It's not me being good enough. It's God dying for both of us. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, let's take a praise break. Stand with me all over the house. Lift your hands all over the house. Say, Lord Jesus, I don't deserve it, but your love passes all understanding. I don't comprehend it, but your love passes all understanding. Praise God. God God bless you. You may be seated. A staff is for guiding. A rod is for guarding. And so I have these five quick things. God gives me compassion. It's in his heart to save me. So quit judging yourself on whether or not you're good enough for God. You're not. It's for his name's sake, not your name. Somebody feel this in your life. Feel this truth right here. His name is higher than my name. (laughs) In fact, I don't want him to take my name. I want to take his name. (laughs) If I'll take his name, he'll put my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. You see? And so, hallelujah, praise God. (laughs) Matthew 20, 28, I came not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom. (laughs) You're not good enough, so I'll be good enough for both of us. (laughs) You're not holy enough, so I'm gonna be holy enough for both of us. You got problems, so I'm going to be holy for both of us. (laughs) Secondly, if I will choose him, if I will open the door of my heart to him, uh, he will guide me. He will lead me in the right direction. This is John 10, verse number four. The good shepherd walks ahead of the sheep and they follow him for they recognize his voice. Psalms 26 and three. Your constant love is my guide. Your faithfulness always leads me. We all of us need leadership, spiritual leadership, in our life. Because if we do not have spiritual leadership from a shepherd, you know what we do? We cue off what the sheep beside us is doing. That's what we do. This is why you see curses in groups. Uh, I use that word fairly broadly, but this is why you see curses in families because without spiritual leadership, you cue off of what the people nearby you are doing. And if they use alcohol to cope, it's a very high probability you're going to use alcohol to cope. It becomes a family curse. It becomes a generational-type curse. You're cueing off the sheep that are around you. If they think that the only way to happiness is, you know, living a crazy life and uh, living uh, with as much experience and hedonistic experience, if you think if they thought that would make them happy, I'll never forget an interview I saw one time. I don't remember where I saw it, but it it bothered me enough that I forgot what I was watching. I forgot where I saw it, and I just remember this image, and there's a man who is dying, and he is in hospice, and his son has come to see him. They've been estranged for years, and his son is sitting beside him, and his son says to him, and you could tell looking at the son that he's a um, I, don't, I don't want to speak to his heart because that's a God thing, but he looks. Like a, one of these party type guys, you know. I mean, he's he's he looks like he has never seen a party that he did not get drunk at and uh, have to be driven home. That's what he looks like. He's talking to his dad who's dying, and he's saying to his dad, To this, he's like, Dad, we you only have a few, and they're estranged. They're trying, the, the, the show was about putting them back together. and his dad's like, He's talking to his dad, and he says, You know, dad, I'll um, tell you what, we have we have a few days here, let's go to the strip club together. And I never forget watching this because his dad looks at him like, oh, uh, sure. That's exactly what his dad oh, sure. He's like, you know, we might as well go out with a bang. And his dad was, sure. And his son is proposing all of these things that he thinks is the good life to a man who is at the end of his life and is uniquely positioned to see through all the lies. As if to say, there was a day when I too thought that would make me happy. But Lord, I have learned a few things. I thought too that would make me happy. We, if we're not careful, cue off the sheep around us. We need spiritual guidance. Number three, I get confused. I wander off a lot. It is an attribute of sheep that they wander off, and they're terrible at judging at risks. But let me tell you what God does. He brings us back. He looks for us. He searches for us. I don't know how far you may feel from God, but I want you to know God will search for you. This image is so established that it's repeated in the Gospels. Jesus said, what of you having a a hundred sheep, if he did not lose one of them, if if he lost one of them, would he not, would he not, would he not put the ninety and nine safe? Uh, and go for the one that is lost. It is so, church. Let me talk to you, church folks here, for a little while. I thank God for every one of you. The church folks are the reason why there's a church. Okay, getting people to commit to the body. Of, let me, let me, let me mingle. Let me not mingle. Linger here for a moment. Okay, y'all, y'all, forgive me in advance. It's much easier to lead someone to a conversion experience than to get them to commit to a church. Yeah, that's true. It is so much easier for people to have a conversion experience than to commit to the church. Because a conversion experience is primarily about you. A church is primarily about others. And the reason why it's the body of Christ is there's no following Christ without denying yourself and carrying ministry for the purpose of others. Right. And so it's much easier for people to have an experience, a conversion experience than it is to get them to commit to uh, the church. And so I want to, first of all, say thank God to all of the church people that make a church possible. Exactly. God bless you. You make a church possible. It's your offerings and tithes that pays for the air conditioning around here. I'm thankful for all of the. I, I recently was accused that I I I I have a heart for sinners, but I don't love saints. And I, I I was like, my God, have I not hugged you enough this year? I mean, I don't know what else I can do. If I get any closer, it's going to be inappropriate. I'm try, I, I want to show you my heart. So the point is this. It can be hard for those of us who are safe in the fold to realize that God is not satisfied with a 99% retention rate. Now, any of you in business or you're in sales, if you have a 99% retention rate, you should write a stinking book because you are the bomb diggity. 99%, come on with that. You aren't talking about the real world. Let's talk about the real world where you get, if you're a superstar, if you can hit, you know, one out of nine. <laughs> if you, if you, could, you could hit close to four out of 10, man, you write your check. Holy cow, that's all there is to say. Just tell me how much and we'll send you a private plane. You see what I'm saying? It's hard for us who are tempted to have an elder brother spirit to forget it's hard for us to shall we say remember that might be a better more clear way to say it that god is not satisfied with a 99% retention rate he will leave the 99 safe and he will go knock on the heart door of the one that is lost. I get confused. I wander off. Jesus said, Luke 19, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Psalms 119, 67. I used to wander off until the Lord disciplined me. Yes. But now I closely follow your word. You are good and you only do good, so train me in your principles. Number four. If and when I fail, Jesus rescues me. This is an important image in the role of the shepherd because most shepherds try to get to the sheep before the predator does. And when the shepherd gets there too late, it makes the shepherd sad that he was unable to save the sheep before the predator found them. But there's this beautiful story in the poetic language of the scripture that shows Jesus is more than just an average shepherd because he he does more than just rescue you when he gets to you in time. He is the shepherd who comes upon that which has been ravaged. Yes, yes. And there's not much left. (laughs) There's not much left. In fact, the Bible, the poetic image in the Bible is uh, a lamb that has been ravaged by a beast and there's just a few remains of the animal and the Bible just talks about uh, a, a couple ribs and, and, and this has been very vivid in the, the hearers who lived in that kind of a, closer to that kind of a society. And uh, the shepherd says, I can, I can work with that. Some of us were found by God after the world had ravished us. But God says, That's okay. I am more than just a shepherd. I'm also a physician. <laughs> I'm a good shepherd, but I'm also the great physician. And lastly, I want to say this as our musicians come. This is the fifth assurance that comes through the scripture to us when we learn from this image of God as a shepherd. Uh, we, we see him here uh, with this commitment to us. My sheep, this is John 10, verse 27. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never die. And no one, somebody say no one, no one, my Lord. And I say that, it just gives me some hope in my soul here today. It kind of makes me just want to say no one. Devil, did you hear what Jesus said? No one, no one can steal them out of my hand, Jesus said. My father gave my sheep to me. He is greater than than all, and no person can steal my sheep out of my father hand. I want I to tell, tell you this. One of the most successful ways that the devil has, the enemy of your soul has, in stopping your ministry potential is to cause you to fear for your own salvation. Um, it is also like throwing away your confidence. And so when people are growing in God, you will watch every single time that they begin to get beyond their own safety zones and they begin to work in a realm, a venue, a place of ministry. There will come some kind of stressor. There will come some pressure point. There will come something in the form of an attack, a word spoken against them. The vast majority of spiritual attacks in our lives are in the form of words spoken against us because we talked about this Wednesday night. If you're not joining us for our inner. Interactive Bible Study on Wednesday nights, please make time, 7 p.m. Go to the church website, click the button, you'll be a part of it. Interactive Bible Study. Spirits do not have authority over the physical, but they have the ability to speak into our spirit. And so the action, the action that spirits bring in attack is to speak against us. It's not just evil spirits. The Holy Spirit speaketh expressly to the church. God speaks and the enemy speaks and we in the middle choose the voice. We will listen to so 90 plus percent of all attacks against this preacher will come in the form of somebody speaking all 90 plus percent of attacks in your life in your calling in your ministry will come in the form of someone speaking against you it will come in the form of fear speaking into your heart doubt speaking into your life If you don't identify the voices in your life, you are destined to live in confusion. If you want to be more spiritually astute than you are, you need to pray that God would help you identify the voices in your life. Because once you can identify the voice, you're able to rebuke the enemy. But if you cannot identify the voice... You have permission to preach this back to me, okay? You have that, uh, 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 y'all pray for me. Uh, uh, She has permission to preach this back to me. If you have not identified the voice, you're not ready to open your spirit. And if you open your spirit before you've identified the voice, it's no wonder that you're living in confusion. John chapter number 10. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Um, in this particular time, shepherds, you, there's many, many shepherds, Uh, This is before the industrialization of uh, agricultural life. And so a shepherd, there'd be a a limit on what he could take care of, or she in some cultures could take care of. Um, And although there might be many shepherds and flocks of sheep in a valley or a river area or or near in the semi-arid area climate like the Holy Land, they would all use the same watering holes. And they would water a lot of times in similar times of the day. And so when they came to a water hole, you would have a lot of different sheep herds milling together. And the shepherds would be there following kind of the order and the schedule of their day, watering those sheep. And when they finished watering the sheep, is that the right way to say it? Watering the sheep. You could say it that way. I know they're not a plant, but hey, just work with me right here, okay? They're watering the sheep. Okay, so. The shepherd did not walk among them with a whip. You're mine. Knock them over there and drive them apart. That's not. Now, I know some people that makes them feel safe, but that's not what the shepherd did. Okay, the shepherd backed off from the water hole. I want you to see this is the water hole, the sheep all around the water hole. The shepherd backed away from the water hole until there was a difference between the sheep and the direction of the shepherd. Do you see? The water, the sheep, and here's the shepherd. And then he would sing to them. He would call to them. And his sheep knew his voice. If the sheep doesn't know the voice of the shepherd, the sheep doesn't know where it's supposed to be. It doesn't know what it's supposed to do, where it's at. It doesn't know where it's going. It is confusion because the shepherd away from the current distraction in your life and the chaos of everybody around you and if they're scared you're scared and if they're happy you're happy he backs off and he calls to you he sings to you and the sheep know his voice there's all kind of noise around them all oh, this needs to get into our spirit church this needs to get into our spirit all kind of junk going on how many of you have all kind of junk going on story of my life for the love of God. All kind of junk going on but there's one voice that I need to hear above everything else in my life. There is one call that needs to connect with my spirit more than anything else in my life and when I hear the voice of God come away my child come away my child come away my child. My sheep Know my voice. And they follow me. And as long as they're following me, nobody can steal them out of my hand. Stand with me all across this house. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're so hungry for you in our life. We need the direction that only comes from you. Lord, there's people here today I'm preaching to, and they've they've been very troubled in their spirit. And while I am have been preaching today, they have realized that they're queuing off of other people in their life. Rather than choosing faith, they are queuing off of other people in their life. And while I was preaching here today, I really believe that you touched their heart, Lord Jesus, and you convicted their spirit and you awoken something within them and they realize that uh, like sheep, they have gone astray and they have cued off of other sheep. Lord, I'm praying today that you would help us listen to your voice, not cue off of people around us. Listen to your voice, humble to your voice. And when you call and say, come away, my child, we don't resist. We don't focus on the distraction. We don't focus on the trouble. We don't focus on who's mad at who and who's disappointed with who and what shepherd's fighting with some other shepherd and what sheep's mad at some other sheep. we, We just listen to the voice of the shepherd and we begin to draw away unto you, oh God, and we respond to that voice that is calling us to come higher in you, oh God. As a church, don't let us miss that calling in our heart and in our life. I believe there's a work for this church to do that you have uniquely prepared us for, God. But if we miss your voice, if we cue off of other sheep, if we get caught up in other people's drama, we're going to miss your voice. Oh, God, let wisdom do its work in our heart here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Pray here today. We always end this way. We're going to pray here today. I wonder. I wonder. Let me ask you this: uh, h- How many of you you acknowledge today that this this message has connected with a need in your life? Raise your hand right now, all across the house. This message connected with a need in your life. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> I cannot. I cannot. I don't want to keep. Thank you. Yes, Lord. Let me love you. Come to me. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. We respond to your challenge in our heart and in our life. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, we respond. Those of you who will, why don't you step out of where you are? Why don't you come down to the front? Um, if if you need to stay where you are for health reasons, that's that's fine. But turn it into a place of prayer right where you are. All of you who are comfortable, I'd like to invite you to step out. Let's come gather here at the front. Uh, I know we're a little out of this habit, but I'd like to invite you to come with us and, and let's 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 pray one with another. I, I'm going to move among some of you. I'm going to pray with some of you. But there's such a unction of the Holy Spirit here today. Let's call upon the name of the Lord right now. I believe someone can be changed in this service today. I believe someone can be profoundly changed in this service today. So I'm asking you to open your heart to God. Our praise team is going to take us into worship. Let's not rush away. Let's linger here in the presence of the Lord. God could fill someone with his spirit, the evidence of his spirit through speaking in tongues here today. Wherever you are, would you lift your voice? Would you call upon the name of the Lord in this house? listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with 4 or 5 stars. By doing so, you'll help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area,